Well, good morning. It's really good to have you with us. Um, if, in case you haven't noticed, we're worshiping with the birds this morning. There's a little nest we found in a little nook there. And um, I, I got with a bunch of pastors saying, how do I get rid of these birds? I've got birds in our sanctuary. And uh, one of the Lutheran pastors looked at me and said, hey, we had bats and all I had to do was baptize them. I've never heard from them again. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's an old joke. Um, well, we're going to get into God's word this morning. And uh, before we do that, I just want to call your attention to your uh, bulletin. And uh, we, we've listed the remaining vision gatherings that um, we have space for you at. And if you haven't come to a vision gathering, we, we have a total of 16 of them so that you can make it. And they're either at 630 or 745 at night. And uh, look at that little tear-off card in your bulletin. And if you haven't yet come to one, would you just check one of those boxes there and fill out the information and drop it in one of the baskets on the way out? Because we really want everyone in our congregation to be on the same page as we move forward in our, uh, the future of our church, especially as we head for the fall. So fill that out. I'll even, you get the excuse, you don't have to fill out your notes right now. Fill, fill that out right now. Check the box and come uh, to one of those vision gatherings. We had such a great time. We've had four of them already. And uh, they will be well worth your time. We really, uh, it helps me to get to know where you're at. You can ask questions, seek some answers on that. But um, please fill that out and drop it in one of those baskets as we prepare for you on that. All right, I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. So if you brought your Bible, open it up. We're going to put it in front of you so that you can read it along with us. And you can perhaps grow in God's word this morning. As you do that, let me just put out a principle to you. This is a principle that's true no matter the environment you're in. And your lifestyle then, as a result of this principle, uh, will be determined by either your acceptance or rejection of it. And here it is. It's preparedness determines your experience. How you prepare determines what you will experience in life. Now think about this with me. If we were all going to be in a, in a marathon this morning, how many of us are ready for that? How many of you are ready for about just over 20, just over 26 miles? Anyone this morning? Some of you. Come on, Kyle Brown. You can put your hands up, but you're being too humble. Uh, others of you just go, wait a minute, 26, 27 miles. Um, I'm not even walking. Give, don't even give me a bike. We're not even work because we're not prepared for it. And so the experience that we'd have if it was all mandatory and we said this is going to be an FBC marathon right now begin, our experience would be a result of our preparation for it, wouldn't it? Now you think about um, the military and, and just looking around how many of you have been involved or connected in the military. And, and one of the first things they do once you're enlisted or once you go in is, is basic training so that you're prepared. You're starting to prepare. And most of your military experience is preparing. The amount of time, even in a war, that you'd get actually fighting is very small. But, but there's a ton of energy and a ton of resources put into you so that you will be ready for that action, that day of action. Our Coast Guard uh, all has, that, has that picture of always prepared, always ready. That's their motto. Because um, their, their whole, pretty much most of their existence is being ready for a huge issue or a crisis that could happen. Uh, I've even realized this in, in normal things in life. How I am prepared financially for things will de- determine my 
experience in life. If I'm not prepared uh, to with good spending habits, when when you get a job or something and you you spend over your income and you take on debt, that's going to determine the experience that you have in life. I even uh, spend time counseling couples as they get ready for marriage because we view being prepared for marriage and being prepared for the expectations that you face and being prepared for things is very important. It, it actually defines your first year of experience in marriage. I think about education. How many of you finished a test this week that ended school for this year and you're no longer a, a sophomore, but you're a junior or you're now graduated? You, you took a great amount of time to prepare so that you'd be ready. Your experience at that test was determined by the amount of time that you prepared. Even raising children, if you're not prepared for them, look out. I don't know that you can totally be prepared to raise children, but just thinking through it and getting ready. I mean, so many couples come back to me and go, wow, we had no idea. I mean, I don't know what kind of monster I turned into after I didn't get sleep. And, you know, things, a lot of things change if you're not prepared for children. So preparation, folks, is determines your experience. And the same is true in your walk with Christ. If you are not preparing your life to be used by Christ, your experience with Christ will, will be a result. There will be a result of that. And most, most always, that's a negative result. If your attention, your desires, your interests, your time in the Word, in prayer, if your treasure is in something else than Christ and you're not preparing to meet Him, if you're not preparing for His return, The experience of your walk with Christ tends to be around your universe, not about his universe. It starts to be with your plans and your expectations rather than God's plans and the expectations that he has for us. In a book called How the Mighty Fall, it's written by an author named Jim Collins. You may know him from a book that he's he's written uh, from good to great. It's a very popular book out in our culture today. But it, it focused uh, from, from whether it's a society or an organization or a church or a business or an academic institution. It's the mighty fall when, when some key things, when they quit preparing, when they quit preparing. Here are three of the indicators that, they, that, they, uh, that, that he writes about. One of them was uh, kind of a diagnosis for failure was this, that they were distracted by present success. For some reason, when a company quits or an organization quits preparing, they get distracted and they sit back on their success and they go, look at how far we've gone. Look at where we are. And they stop looking at the future and they just celebrate today. Celebration is good. But to have that come and enshroud you and distract you, from seeing the future and preparing for the future turns into more of an arrogant, comparative uh, picture of your life where you start overstating your, your qualifications or your abilities and become overconfident in yourself. Another one is an undisciplined pursuit of more, where your pursuit of growth at the neglect of the core of your values that got you there. Where you just start wanting to get bigger and bigger and bigger and want to have more and more and more. And whether this is a life or whether this is a church, if we're just focused on numbers becoming bigger and bigger and larger and doing more and more, at the neglect of the values that God had centered us around of making disciples of Jesus Christ, 
Now, that is, that is a recipe for failure and destruction. And then the whole angle of, being, uh, of denying risk and peril, of ignoring crucial information, where you refuse to listen to wise and godly counsel, where you're blinded to the obvious indicators uh, of, of caution when, and you move forward uh, ignoring the costs and threats of something. You know, all of these lead to, uh, for a diagnosis for failure. And they're all involved when we quit preparing, when we sit back and we just relax, when we go complacent in our walk with Christ. You know, I was reading a story about a guy named David Worthington who was a fanatic on climbing 14ers out in Colorado. He had the list, and there's 44 14ers out in Colorado, and he wanted to climb each one. And he would go on this blog, and he would write, and he would be so committed to this thing and, and that he would go, uh, he, he would extend his climbing season and go into May when there could possibly still be snowstorms and definitely would be climbing uh, in snowfields out in Colorado. Well, on, on May 6th, 2007, he and his girlfriend climbed um, Humboldt Peak in, cell, in remote cell central Colorado, uh, a peak of about 14,064 feet. He actually spent the night up on, on the peak, which is up on the summit, which is craziness. There was winds of around 70 miles per hour. But in the morning, everything was, was beautiful and still and quiet. And he started to walk down, and one of the things that he had been doing is he was really practicing light, going light, and, and not having a lot of weight. And, and he, as a result, didn't bring his ice axe. And there was a ton of snow, and there's a ton of, ton of uh, ice on this mountain. And the other thing that he wanted to do is he wanted to do it fast. So climbing up and climbing down was expedited by um, uh, a, a process called glissading, where you, where you, if you get down and put your legs in front of you and you slide down the mountain. And you can really, I mean, you can make up for a lot of time. I mean, that's kind of logical when you sit and slide down a mountain. And it's about a 40-degree angle of which he was going down. And because he was going light and he wanted to do more, he ignored the risk and the peril happened. He started caravaning out of control, doing cartwheels down the mountain, hit some rocks, and broke about six bones and just laid there like a heap, still living. His girlfriend finally made it to him. And the problem was, is it was in the early season. In May, very few people in a remote region were climbing the mountain, so no one else saw him. They were just out there. And she couldn't carry him. Took her, it took her an hour to move him ten feet. And so she had to leave him there alone. She went down the mountain, made it down the mountain at 9.30 p.m. when she finally reached help, and they couldn't go. They started at 2 o'clock the next morning climbing up the mountain. They located them around uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he was still living. And the, the problem was is they got all the rescue and got all the rescue people there and moved him very slowly down to the bottom. He had cardiac arrest when he finally got to the bottom and died. And you think about, you think about this diagnosis of failure that works in pretty much any environment. Whenever we're distracted by present success and we have an overconfidence in ourselves, whenever we have an undisciplined pursuit of more, and whenever there's a denial of risk and peril, we quit preparing and we kind of go blinded through life. Ignoring all the areas and we're blinded by a factor or a motivation that prevents us from preparing. 
Well, what we're going to get from the Word of God this morning is, is we're going to get a recipe. We're going to get instructions for preparing. We want to be prepared Christians. Uh, people who are constantly being proactive with our lives, not reactive with our lives. Because a prepared person will be proactive. And God has an incredible message for us. And let's look in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Here God's word comes in and says, folks, prepare your minds for action. God wants to use us. He doesn't want us to be, to, to sit back and do, um, and do nothing. He doesn't want us just to be people who come and sit and watch him work. He wants to include us. He wants us to be interactive with him and move us out into the world. Some of you are about to go on a mission trip to Camp Barnabas. God wants you active in the lives of people. Some of you are serving the Lord in different ministry, whether it's with children or leading a small group. He wants you to be active. He doesn't want you to be passive and watch things. So when he's calling us to be active, we always have to be preparing, preparing to be used by him. And here the word of God gives us clear direction. Preparation determines your experience. Let me just ask you this. What kind of experience do you want with Christ? What kind of experience do you want? Because what your desire is, is, you know, if you don't desire to be used by Christ, you will watch. You will be on the sidelines. But you can't just say, no, I don't want to be used by right now, you right now, and everything stays the same. You're in a world of constant change. You're in a world of constant flux. And God is working. He's not going to be limited. You say, no, God, I don't want to work. He'll go, just go and use other people around you. And life is always moving. And you're experiencing all the things. You've got to be prepared for tomorrow and processing tomorrow and the things that could happen to you or happen around you tomorrow. We want to be prepared people. So you can't just say and be okay. I don't want to be used. And then just stop preparing your minds and have, and, and have an, an enjoyable, joyful, fulfilling experience with God. Your, your preparation will determine your experience with him. And daily preparation goes a long way over a lifetime. However, daily complacency becomes a huge weight over time in your walk with Christ. We're preparing, folks. We're not preparing for the, something called the dot, your life. You're not just preparing for tomorrow. You're preparing for eternity. So it's a line your, your life goes on forever. We are eternal beings. The majority of our existence is going to be with God in heaven. We're preparing for eternal life. It's not the dot we live for. It's the line we live for. And so we want to be people that are preparing for his return. Because right now in this thing called the dot, your life and my life, God is using you. He wants to use you strategically to call as many people into the line with him forever. And so we're called to do that. We're not called to be obsessed with this dot. We're called to be committed to the line. And we're called to prepare to meet him. We're called to prepare for his return. 
And the word of God gives us action steps to prepare. The first is listed in verse 13. Look at that. It says this. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Be self-controlled. Here's the picture. First step is my actions are controlled. Now, obviously, we can look at lives all around us who are out of control. And uh, that's kind of a fascination in our world is some for some reason, crazy reason, we like to turn on the cable and, and watch different people whose lives are out of control. And that's entertainment for us. Girls gone wild, you know. For some reason, our culture is fascinated with something like that. I don't know if we just like sitting with our feet up going, look at how the wreck of other people. My life is not that bad. Look what happened to him. You know, we can we can do that. But there's also, it doesn't have to be the television. It's also life. Hey, did you hear about what happened at the party with that people, with those guys? Did you hear what they've been doing? And we look at people who are out of control and we make comments and we get entertained by that. But we fail to practice self-control in our lives. And God's calling us now, practice self-control. Because the reality is, in a world that's attracted to the out-of-control guy or girl, a fascination with the life of the party person, is the reality is you don't have to live with that person. You don't have to pay the price of the circumstances as the result of that out-of-control person. And those of us who do live with the out-of-control person, life is difficult. There's a huge cost to that. And poor preparation with our, and lack of self-control will result in regrets. Regrets that we will say, I should have. If only I would have. And all the degree of turmoil that's amplified by your lack of preparation... Here, rather than creating the perfect storm in your life, the word of God says, no, practice self-control. That means when you're tempted to go someplace, when you're tempted to think about something, when you're tempted to look at someone or something in a way that you know takes you right down that wrong path, you need to set your mind on things that are above. You need to look to the Lord. You need to not go into this defeatist angle of, uh, of making and have your mind go down the angle of, well, I deserve this, or the normal person under these circumstances would do that. You see that? The birds are agreeing with me. <laughs> so our actions are self-controlled. Secondly, my future is set on hope. Let's keep reading there. It says, it says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ, Jesus Christ is revealed. That's really what this passage is all about, is where's your hope set? And here, it's we're called into betting it all on giving our whole lives on the hope that's going to be given to us when Jesus is revealed. It's the central theme. Our hope is set on Christ. It's almost like scripture saying missile lock on hope. A future driven not by, where our lives aren't driven by the present or the past, whether it's a success or a failure, but a, a picture of the future. Leverage your life on the future. Because it reminds us to look back up on verse 3 and 4, where it says uh, that, that we've been given a living hope. Take a look up there real quick. It says in verse 3, he has given us new birth into a living hope. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Remember the values of this inheritance? They can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That is a sure thing. That is a good promise. That's a reality. That's a biblical, spiritual, godly reality for all of you who are in Christ, who have trusted Christ with your lives. We have this inheritance. It can never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for you. That means even on your worst day, you have the greatest hope in this world. That it means on the worst news, that means even at death, you have the hope of eternal life. That means I can boldly, confidently tell you that even even on your worst day does not compare to the greatest hope that you have. You, You don't have a right as a believer to just chuck it all away because you have a bad day or because you have a bad life. Everyone who trusts in Christ has this hope. It's a sure thing. So he's saying, set your minds on this hope. Why do we struggle with this? We struggle with it because we have not come to the end of ourselves. And we live in a very blessed nation. We live in a blessed nation. This passage was written to people who were struggling daily with their own lives to trust the Lord and not be killed for it. They were persecuted. And as a result, as a result... They knew that their hope had to be in something greater than themselves. They knew that they could bet their lives on this because God was going to, to, to follow through. They didn't have confidence in anything else. All they had was Jesus. And that's what we need to realize. That all we have in the midst of all these little, little band-aids in life for, for recipes for success. All we have really is Jesus. All you have when you die is Jesus. You don't bring your wealth. You don't bring your position. You don't bring your education. You don't bring your athletic ability. You don't bring your anything except Jesus. And what scripture says is that's the only one you can have who is great hope. Stick with me. I know the birds are distracting. As Americans, we're pretty comfortable in this culture. What's missing What's missing as a result of this is we don't have a lot of things that are missing in our lives. We check all the boxes for things we place our hope in. Do I have the car? Do I have the house? Do I have the retirement? Do I have the relationship? Do I have this? We look at that. We put all our hope in those things so that when those things aren't working for us, we are out of hope on this side. The word of God says, no, no, all those things won't last. Only God is word and people last. So bet it all on those things. Because on your worst day, when all those things, when, when the perfect storm happens, you still have Jesus. And he's going to come through for you. And, and as a result, folks, when we're f- hoping in these things, when we're hoping that all these things will go well, we end up living in the moment. Because all these things occupy our minds. When we as parents put all our hope in our children, we will chase our children around and we will live our lives and lives will be good when they're doing well and it will be horrendous when they're not doing well. And we'll lose the perspective. We'll get wrapped up in their lives rather than understanding our roles for them right now and loving them and providing perspective during this time. 
We are people, folks, who are busy because we're putting hope in all the wrong things. And what that gives us is we live lives without margin. And when you live a life without margin, you can only live in the present. What's the next thing? Where do we got to go? Get the car. Go. We drive. Pay the bill. We, we do all that kind of living. And we don't live for the future. Because we're consumed by the present. You can't have hope when you're distracted in the present. Hope is always future-based. And the hope we have with Christ is future-based that changes everything in the present. Secondly, as we look at this, we not only have a future that is set on hope and um, um, our, our lives, our, our actions, um, but, but also our desires. Look at this in verse 14. It says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let me just start with the last part of that verse. What is God calling us into? He's calling us into following him. And you know, as our lives and our, as our desires are set apart... And, and we're set apart for God's holiness. Some people say, oh, we can be holy on this, in this life. That we can actually be good enough that, that we're holy. And I would say, no, this side of, of heaven, this side of being with the Lord, we're always going to fall short. We always need Jesus. We, we need him. Because the more I live, the more aware I am of my sin and my brokenness. And the more I need and the more the picture of the cross has just increased. And some of you are visiting for the first time, and, and this is all kind of new to you. You kind of view re- religion as a system of works, when biblical Christianity is really around a relationship of grace, this grace that's going to be revealed to us that, that this passage talks about. And so we're called into this relationship, not, not a religion. And as, as we do that, God calls us to be more like him. He becomes this, the pattern for us. We're not to look around and say, okay, um, Rich McKee, I'm, I'm better than him, so I'm doing, I'm doing better. I'm, I'm not looking so bad. Or to look at that person that we know we're better than and go, well, I am much better than that person. The reality is, is we're not called to compare. We're called to, to look to Christ. And to follow him. He's our standard. He is holiness. And so he calls us into being more like him. Because yeah, here's the reality. On your best day, you're going to think you're pretty good. And on your worst day, you're never going to measure up if it's all about comparing with someone else. Because there's always going to be someone better than me. There is. There's always going to be a Chuck Preston in my life who's better than me, who I will never be like. And I always think, well, God's not really happy with me because I'm not like Chuck. And then there's always going to be someone worse than me who's doing things that I would never imagine doing. I'm not like that kind of person. And you know what? That makes me depreciate the value of the cross in my life. And God says, no, no, no. Quit comparing yourselves with others and look at who I am. I'm holy. Now, model me. Reflect me through your life. But I want to look at another area there. It's, it says, don't live the way you used to live with the desires when you lived in ignorance. In other words, when you didn't know. When you didn't know. Some of you, uh, you know what? I've known Jesus since I was about 
four or five years old. There's never a time when I was ignorant of Christ. And I thank the Lord for Christian parents who showed me that. Thank the Lord for a church that, that did. But you know what? I certainly have grown in my understanding of who Christ is. And there was a time when I didn't know things about him that I've grown to appreciate now. Some of you just came to Christ in a, in a matter of months ago or weeks ago. And this is all new to you. There was a time when you really didn't see God as a loving God. There were times when you really didn't realize who you were. There was a, there was a time when, when uh, you, weren't, you, you felt you just weren't part of his family. But now you do. Now you're no longer ignorant to that. Now you know. You, you, you know that and you're convinced and you appreciate and you love God and you're part of his family. This is all family language that, that Peter's writing in. He says, as obedient children, as part of God's family, don't live like this. Don't live where your desires are just matching everyone around you. And you know what? Desires aren't bad. God created you with God-sized desires. So many times you think, oh, if I don't have desire, then, then I will really be good. No, you'd be a rock. As long as you're human, you will have desires. And God has created these desires to be found in him, to be satisfied in him. He's a really huge God. He is a really awesome God who loves you infinitely more than you've ever loved anyone or anything. And he gave you desires for him. That's why when we take those desires and go for another person or we go for another feeling or for another uh, freedom or whatever we do with our desires, they take us over and they rule because they're powerful. They're powerful. And they'll burn through your life if they're in the wrong direction. We see it in addictions, with obsessions. We see those, and you may have been a part of a desire that invaded your life and took over. And here the scriptures are saying, no, no, set your desires. If you, don't eradicate desires in your life. Just point them for God. Love him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. He's a big God. You're going to spend eternity continuing to desire him, knowing and increasing in knowledge, growing, having a great experience the more you meet and more more time you spend with him. So bet it all on him and the hope that you have in him. Don't be consumed by the things around you. Be consumed by God. Not only are the desires to be set apart, but finally our faith is to be centered on Christ. Let's keep reading verses 17. It says, since you call on a father who judges each, each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Here there's, a, again, another picture to who Christ is and what he's done. 
He was the sacrifice. He was the reason we have grace. It's only by God's grace through Christ. He was the perfect sacrifice. We could never be perfect enough. He was the one without blemish that covers all of our blemishes spiritually in a relationship with him. Here it was a sacrifice. It was something we couldn't do for ourselves. It was something that God had to provide for us. Secondly, here it reflects a history, a history that we were chosen, that he was chosen before the creation of the world, that God knew about this and he has a history with us. And then finally, that God had worked with a strategy that all of this right now is revealed in this last time, that right now you live in a strategic time of human history, that that you would know Christ, that you would have Christ and the hope of Christ and that you would take Christ out into this world and advance the gospel because you've been rescued. You've been rescued and you can be part of this rescuing work of God. The reality, what I've learned on this, is that a greater faith results in a greater hope in my life. I was talking to someone right after the first service this morning and they said, you know what I've realized, at least on that last point, is they said, God has to be at the center of my life. He has to be right on the plate of the things I have in my life. He has to be on the center of that plate. Because I realized when I push Christ off that plate, it becomes very easy for him, me to push him off my life. That's why we've got to always come back to true north. I've got to kind of visualize who's at the plate of my life, of what I'm feeding my life, of what I'm feeding on in life. What's on the center of that plate? And what scripture is saying, it's got to be Christ. Our faith has to be set on Christ. If he's a side issues, side issues are usually put, easily pushed off. And side issues don't help us prepare for life. He's got to be the main thing. So this, this um, invitation to be prepared in life. Remember, let's go back to this principle. Preparedness determines your experience. What kind of experience do you want with Christ? Some of you are getting what you've put into it. Some of you are living where all these things are going. You've been preparing for the wrong things. Well, today, it's time that we go towards the alternative. The alternative alternative that's really the main thing in our lives. See, the reality is, is our actions are self-controlled, as our future is set on hope, as our desires are set apart, and our faith is set on Christ, this is what happens. This is the experience you will get. Number one, when your mind is prepared for action, you will be used of God. When your mind is set on getting the next thing done for your agenda, in your little world, in your little desires, with your little plans... You will sit and you will watch God do things around you. You will not be in the game. God is calling on each of us. Set your mind for action. Be self-controlled. If you can control life, if you can get margin in your life, so it's not so crazy how busy we are and how hurried we are, if we can make some good decisions that are wise and godly decisions that, that will last for eternity in things that are eternity. If we can say no to some things and yes to some things that are much better than those things and much better that will last for eternity, folks, our experience is going to be much better for us. 
we're going to see God use us. If you hop in your car, drive away, when you know your neighbor needs you, when you know your neighbor is a great investment of your time, but you're chasing something, that next activity, that next thing, and you're ignoring this, God won't use you, but you, you set your mind for action. You know, that's the great aha of our church. It's that when we've been available to be used, when we've set our minds for action and just been available, God has shown up and brought many more opportunities our way than if we could have gotten in a boardroom and started to plan them all out. Just the simple value of what God does with an available life. Secondly, if your future is set on hope, you will have perspective. You will. Everything will fit into its right priority, at least visually for you. You will see that God, his word, and people last. Everything else, everything else is temporal. And you, you will be invited to leverage it all for eternity. Thirdly, when your desires are set apart, you will have a greater appetite for God. You see, being someone who is sinful and has bro- been broken and has, is fallen, in and of myself, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, I am not going to have an appetite for God. I'm not. I'm going to pour my life into all those little drugs, all those little band-aids, all those little short-term things that give me short-term happiness. I'm going to pour my life into him, apart from the Holy Spirit's work in my life. I've got to ask him to give me a new heart that starts to desire godly desires, that, that wants to have God more apart. Hey, at the center plate of my life. When I do that, though, I'll start longing to reflect him. I'll, I'll want to please him. He'll become the one I love with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And when I set my faith on Christ, the reality is, is my confidence will grow in life. I I won't start thinking, I wonder if anymore with God. I'll start going, no, God can do this. And I'll start trusting him more. And that's what I want in my experience. I want to trust God more each day. And you know, in order for that to happen, I have to prepare my heart, I have to prepare my mind, and I have to prepare my life to allow him to do that. I have to prepare so that God can work through me. And so do we. On the other hand, when I neglect these things in busyness and hurry or in selfishness or I'm distracted or I become on the sidelines of what God is doing or I become bitter That he's not all about me. And God will never worship me. When I fall into that trap, I start praying, God, give me this, give me this, give me this. Help tomorrow to be a better day today. And everything is about me. Not about his will. Folks, we want to be a church that is used greatly of the Lord. We want to be people who who are prepared for God to do a work. We want to be on his rescue team. And that means we commit our lives to these principles. 
we actually prepare to allow him to do that. I just want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer right now and just think about some of the things we've talked about. Our actions are self-controlled. Let me just pray through these and you pray along with me as God works and the Spirit works from his word this morning. Father, we come to you and we just want to commit right now our our actions to you. We want to be people who are self-controlled, not out of control. And we realize that we really can't control ourselves unless you're controlling us. And so, Spirit, work in us, control us. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And we just ask that you would move that through us, that we would be people who can control our tongues, control our passions and desires, so that they'd be controlled to be used of you. Father, we set our future on you and the hope that we have. Man, it is so good to hear of this in a world that is broken and fallen and messed up. We trust you. You are our hope. Uh, Please forgive us from all the other little things that we hope in apart from you. They don't last. They don't last. And they won't. So we want to position our lives for things that are eternal. For you, your word, and for people. Lord, move in all of us and help us to have good desires. Help us to set apart those desires to reflect holiness. We really want that to happen, Lord. And, And move in us. Create a greater appetite for you. May we be people who seek you. And Lord, grow our faith. You become our main thing. We clear away all those other distractions to focus on you. As we prepare in this room, May we be a church that continues to prepare throughout this week. May we not just hear something like this and walk away and go back to the same thing. Really want you to be honored and glorified in all we do. We trust you. You are our hope, our confidence, and our future. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.